Welcome to the Alchemy of Success podcast. I'm Vince Fusco. In the last 15 years, I've done everything from stagehand to award-winning director, husband and father of two, creative marketing expert, and professional growth and success coach. I specialize in helping people find their purpose, reach their goals, and realize their dreams, while building their confidence and self-love to live a life at their full potential. This podcast is dedicated to the exploration of the human experience, the drivers of, and the physical, mental, and spiritual metrics we measure success by. From personal life stories to inspiring tales from special guests, we'll be sharing our journeys of success and what it is to us. My hope is that this show will serve as a source of personal inspiration to spark your curiosity and ignite your mind, body, and spirit to your own brilliance. So you too can thrive in finding your own alchemy of success. Today's guest is a graduate from University of South Australia with a Bachelor of Physiotherapy. He graduated in 2004 and has since worked in the industry in a variety of roles and workplaces. John Joyce is his name. He has a deep belief that you never stop learning and you cannot teach experience. And as such, John has pursued professional experience in a range of environments including elite sports with AFL, basketball, netball, and tennis, orthopedic hospital work, rehab inpatient, and ongoing professional development over many, many years. He specializes in the treatment of orthopedic injury and sports strength and conditioning with a keen interest in postural re-education and headache management. He is passionate about active treatment and recovery and believes strongly in the treatment of the whole person to enable positive results and outcomes. John is married to the wonderful Katie, who we're going to speak about a little bit later on as well, and they have three gorgeous children. He loves spending time investing in family life with activities ranging from sport, family bike rides to regular Sunday church gatherings. He's passionate about living an active, healthy lifestyle and is blessed to work as the lead physiotherapist at his own company, Cadence, at which he is the company director. Together with Katie, he started Cadence as a startup company in 2015, and it has since grown to three sites across northeastern Adelaide. The mission of Cadence is to bring joy to local communities throughout active, healthy living and their reformers Pilates classes. John's personal interests and passions include endurance running, seeing others succeed in life, serving the local church through basketball coaching, coffee, and sparkling water. <laughs> I uh, hope you've got a glass with you because I want to chat. John Joyce, welcome to The Alchemy of Success. Look, thank you so much for having me. It's always uh, a pleasure to chat with you, Vince. And it's, it is very unusual to hear that all said about you, as I'm sure other guests have said. It's kind of like you write, you write a bit of a bio, you sort of feel like, oh, just check out a few things about who I am and sure, but to have someone else sit there and say it, it's always a bit, yeah, somewhat daunting. Like, All right, that's some of my life there in a, uh, in a bubble. I guess. To be asked to do it yourself as well when someone's like, can you please offer me all of your highlights? Give me your highlight reel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is, it's confronting, but um, it's it should be rewarding to hear all those things back and mm. i haven't even listed mm. half of them because I, I feel like we're going to talk about them i want them to come through the conversation um yeah certainly. there's yep. a, a whole myriad of topics that i would love to cover with you tonight and or over a series of conversations so um for our listeners john and i know each other over the last oh, be five years since cadence started mm at our local yeah. down here at Derdencourt um, in, in South Australia. And um, I've been seeing John for physiotherapy. Um, I mentioned he specialises in headache treatment as well. Um, and uh, my wife, Joy, was actually seeing John as well. So that's how 
I got to you. And then uh, mm. we did some reformer Pilates classes. Um, and over that course, we've just become great mates. You always bring such wonderful perspective and insight to our many conversations, whether that be about physiology, the world, um, faith, living life in a confident and I guess acceptable, acceptable way. Mm. Um, yeah, is something that I really value each and every fortnight that I get to see you around my physio. So, yeah. thanks for coming on. And uh, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And you're... yeah, thank you for your very kind words. It's, it's very kind to hear you say those things about me. But I think, as you know, I, I believe many of the same things are right back at you that we have. It's interesting when, and I guess some of that is that whole perspective as well is that element of we have the blessing of of spending time with one another that often ends up being more intentional than what even your friendships are you know there's yeah, an element yeah. of we we make a booking we, we do the intentionality about it sure but often i feel like and i'm sure you feel the same it feels like we need three hours for this moment not half an hour yeah <laughs> so absolutely. It's sort of, absolutely it's that element of, of progressive life and relationship <laughs> but it's it's a blessing for sure it serves more purpose than just the physiology that you're and the mm. physiotherapy you're um, working on with me. It, it definitely does serve a mental and uh, a bit of a spiritual element as far as recovery goes from uh, yeah. physical ailments. But um, like we'll, we'll cross over tonight, I'm sure, the uh, entanglement mm. between the mental, the physical and spiritual, because that's something that yeah. I know that you're very passionate about. I want to start, John, with a little bit of, your backstory, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned at the top some of your hobbies, which are very obviously physical, um, endurance running, you're a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. Where does the John Joyce story start? And yeah. Was it, yep. is it, was it always this picture that I've painted this evening or where does it start? Yeah, great question. Um, no, it certainly wasn't always this picture. It's the reality of that question, I, I guess. Uh, you take the start. I take the start from my family of origin. Really, I'd take it right back to there. Obviously, in terms of growing up, and um, obviously the man you are today, I believe is totally the boy you were, you know, many years ago. In terms of growing and and becoming, um, yeah, a man in this world is is certainly been a process. So, um, I'd have to say my family of origin was a wonderful family growing up. We had a we're here in the northeastern suburbs of Adelaide grew up in Highbury and uh, was actually born in Wyala. So um, it's funny how your roots have these unusual uh, headspace moments. I guess I, I have an unusual connection to Wyala that I was born there and lived there for two weeks of my entire life, you know, the right. infancy of my two, <laughs> two weeks of life. My father being a school, a high school teacher. Um, okay. And he, he was there placed at, at Wyala High and he was working there. And, and then uh, literally I was born in December and so, he, his teaching gig had changed and he went to Port Perry and I was there for four years. So, but much of my family heritage is, is from the, you know, just south of Port Perry in a place called Wandira, a tiny little um, farming community, really. Yeah. Um, and so many of my roots were, are still in that area. And so our extended family is there. Uh, as a boy growing up, I, I went back to the farm as often as I could. Um, sort of every school holidays, I was back on the farm and yeah. spent time with my uncles, uncles and aunties out there. And and so that was dad's family of origin influencing me right up to the age of, oh, probably 12 or 13. Um, uh, my 
personal family. I have an older sister and two younger brothers. So I was kind of the oldest boy of, of three boys and, mm-hmm. and I had an older sister. So interesting mix of a family um, in that obviously I felt like our family had kind of had two oldest kids a bit in some ways. It didn't, but it did in the sense that obviously older sister and three boys, it meant that being the oldest boy had that. that There's a different weight with it, mantle. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, it is mantle. That's yeah. a great. That's a great term. A mantle mm. that that comes yeah, with that. So. How did you find that? I guess. How did your sister find that? What was the dynamic like in the family? Then, yeah. were you guys all close? Did it raise the competitive nature? Were you? And was the farm? I was going to ask. Is it a working farm or was it a hobby farm? Like what? What? No, what? no. Yeah, the general farm. Yeah, good question. Uh, two two questions. There. Obviously, uh, I think our family was a very close family growing up. Very close um yeah an organic pretty real family but i think there was a sense without really recognizing it probably to our adult years there was a, a sense of and i think it was probably one way competitiveness i didn't ever feel competitive towards my sister yeah but i felt there probably was some of that looking back on it now that probably did exist um, the other way um and not certainly not negatively but more yeah i guess i think i was certainly driven highly driven always have been um and perhaps sarah wasn't as much so was, yeah maybe there's some of that going on but it was, look, it was a lot of dynamics obviously within a family you got four yeah. kids and two I'm parents number, trying yeah. to do their best and totally i hear that i'm number four of five and like yourself mm. I'm, I'm the eldest boy but there are three mm-hmm. girls three girls older than me so i guess it was like the three girls always outnumbered us two boys and there's quite an yeah. age gap as well. So I guess less yep. of a mantle um, mm-hmm. from the, the two senior children in the group. Mm-hmm. And because we are so far apart, there's 16 years between me and my eldest sister and right. and then five years yeah. between like my brother and I. So I guess mm. the, uh, the dynamics were a bit different. We all sort of grew up together and yet individually across yeah the 70s 80s 90s um yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that we we you know our family would have similarities like, like you know sarah and i were 18 months apart and then we had mm-hmm. two brothers who you know ben and paul who were another sort of band was five years and then they were pretty close together two years apart at the bottom end but mm-hmm. just by natural i guess australian natural realities of sport particularly that that the boys took on the sport Look, Sarah played a little bit of sport, probably not as much. And so there's more connection. Like we played, all three of us, Joyce boys, played in basketball teams together. And even though there was a large gap, my brothers were very talented. And so they were able to kind of come up to the standards I played at quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So growing up, the family was, yeah, really connected. We did heaps together. And my father was a very active father, involved heavily, but also single income family, both parents, teachers. Yep. Um, but dad worked really hard to provide. and. You know, with that classic sort of 80s, 90s family, we had one car, you know, um, always had, mum and dad always valued the home heavily, um, both in values and what we did and the time we spent together, but also the physical home. You know, mm-hmm. We always had really mm-hmm. beautiful homes. So, yeah, so from four, from Port Perry, we moved back to Highbury. Uh, and I'd say that probably my roots, my roots in Highbury have never never left, really. Well, you're <laughs> I mean, still here. You're, you're just around the corner. Correct. Um, which is yeah. nice, isn't it? I think that always has a nice uh, sentiment. I mean, I grew up in Athelstan, not too far from here, mm. but it mm-hmm. it still just feels like home because I guess like all of my schoolmates yeah. and everybody, like we grew up in this suburb, um, you know, whether it be the local hotel mm-hmm. or 
whatnot running amok when you do as a teenager, but it's, um, yeah, it's nice to be back here. Um, with your family and you've outlined and you painted a beautiful picture of, I guess, like that classic family lifestyle, you know, parents working very hard, mm. raising, raising kids in, in the sort of eighties, late eighties, nineties, as yeah. you said, what would, do you think your parents' idea of success at the time, what do you think that was or what did you see that as mm. growing up? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, and look, I'd, I'd put it down to that picture that it was a, a healthy family life. Um, very, I mean, mum and dad, both very highly spiritually faithful people um, and believe in the home being the heart of everything that goes on. Um, yeah. And so that, and that was the choice made. The, you know, mum was, and it is an incredibly intelligent woman um and had her own career and yet put that to the side for a significant period to be able to raise us as children and spend yeah, yeah many years until really my youngest brother was in high school and then she went back to her career um but yeah i'd say that their, their definition of success was certainly and i think that shapes certainly shapes mine now as well yeah but that yeah the definition would have certainly been strong family relationships that uh, each of their children had an opportunity to explore faith in a christian faith um and it was very much that it was never and so i often hear from people you know you're a christian because you were raised that way and i said well you didn't really live in my house <laughs> you don't know that but yeah i was i was given opportunity but i, I see it always as that there was an opportunity to explore to understand ask questions the mom and dad were very open about that they sort of always led us children in the way of check it out you need to find out if you believe in Jesus and if you have a faith for yourself and yeah. and yet they exposed us in many ways through, you know, regular Sunday gatherings on Sundays at church. Um, always had, we always had people in our house. That was something that, again, so you think about defining success for them. It was about the community they lived in. They were always yeah. incredibly local, local people. And yet, so as I reflect on that, I think about those first four or five years where we weren't in our current local where mum and dad still live now, they're in Highbury as well now. Um, <laughs> there's that element that they they actually explored and and left and i never really saw my parents in that way full stop like mum and dad are pretty conservative people they're you know they're, they're pretty uh, centrist in their beliefs and whatnot but they asked i couldn't really picture them taking this like family on adventure because when they, when they were left to go to Wales, sarah was only gosh she must have only been one you know 12 months ish i was born in Wyala. You know, so they had a really young family. Yeah, and that, and, think, and dad, I think we underestimate the time as well. Like back mm. then, it like we we complain about how hard it is now raising children, or you know, when you mm-hmm. have your firstborn, that shock of oh wow, we're, there's a lot to do with a, a child, let alone to pick up your yeah. your you know young marriage, move your careers out to the country with a one year old, and then have another child. Like it's actually very difficult to do that so like you're saying it's it's a really brave thing to do and, and courageous for both of them yeah. um mm-hmm. with the with that example that they've shown obviously throughout their life um growing up did that then i guess drive you towards obviously it drove you drove you further towards your goals um but for example like going into physiotherapy was that always something that you mm. knew you wanted to do or were you, did you have aspirations for professional sporting careers by chance yeah look the answer to about physiotherapy is no had no idea what it was until i was about seven and a half yeah Um, and that was ultimately as a result of um many things but yeah at 
I had I really had no idea what the career even was. Um, I couldn't have even told you what a physio did. Um, apart from what I had seen, I had never seen a physiotherapist before, um, which was remarkable. I played a lot of sport. Um, we had a really good local GP who was super active, and so he, in all honesty, he, he kind of formed that old school GP model where he really took on active management and gave me stretches and all sorts of stuff. I, I saw him for physical ailments that I would say are physio aligned, but yeah. that's really my only experience I'd had of it. Um, and so, yeah, I had no real goals to be in this industry at all. In fact, I wanted to be a vet my whole, my whole senior high schooling. In fact, my whole life, I would say, I wanted to do veterinary science. I loved animals and that was from the farming background much yeah. of it. And much of it was actually pursuing a rural vet. So my year 11 work experience I actually did with a, a rural vet in Mount Barker on a pig farm. On, in fact, many pig farms. And I'll tell you what, if you, if you want to test whether you want to be a rural vet or not, the first day you rock up to a pig farm will test out every little bit of metal you have about what I'm sure it would. Do that or not. Yep. Because the smell is, I'll never forget it. We rocked up to this pig farm. And the wind was going one direction. All right. And I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. He, he was warning me. So I was pretty bad. You have to get used to this. And yeah, I was been on farms before and I sweat. And then literally we walked around the other side of this shed, which was on the other side of where the wind direction was. And it, it just about knocked you over. Just hits you, it doesn't it? Mm, oh, oh you man. <laughs> so yeah, so I, mean, I won't get aggressive on that line, but that wasn't what deterred me. I stuck that out. I stuck out a couple of weeks. Of, in fact, I did an extra week with him. Um, and so veterinary science was something that I always I, I loved vets. I loved we'd taken we'd had family dogs, we had vet, we had farm dogs, we'd had you know, and even the experience of the rural vet out on the farm. You know, seeing that job it's a pretty cool job. You know, like it's you know you're active, you're, you're driving to properties, you're you know vaccinations and all sorts of stuff for animals and, and helping the farmer do their job. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought that was really attractive. Um, yeah, and then ultimately uh, life pathways happened and. Katie and I met when I was, well, we knew each other. We, we had a really strong, I guess, we had a background without knowing each other through church and family life. So our parents knew each other before we really did. Right. Quite unique. Um, and so they, we knew of each other. In fact, my sister babysat Katie once before. Right. So she often, often brings that up. Yeah, well, but I, I didn't really even notice her, unfortunately. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you did. She, and, it's one of those, oh, yeah, but she did. those ones where your life was intertwined many times yeah. beforehand and you had no idea of like sliding Absolutely, doors. Moments, yeah. Almost. yeah, it totally is. And I guess like, and she hadn't really noticed me in that way. Either. Obviously we were young teenagers growing up and then obviously passed across that our kind of my crew and her crew in terms of guys and girls started hanging and chilling. And I sort of noticed her a bit differently. I was like, Hey, you know, you're pretty cool. And I remember having this DNM conversation with her. Look, I'd, I'd come out of a previous girlfriend relationship. I was super mature at this point. I was like, right. Okay, I don't want to have, you know, this, you know, muck around relationship stuff. Let's make this serious and let's like, let's do this right. I'm thinking back now. I'm going, come on, John. You had no idea what you're talking about. We often no, talk about that now. So, Remember that. It's so sweet. It's so like well thought out and mature for a young man. What? Um. How yeah. old are you? How old? How old are you when this is happening, John? So I was seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, I was seventeen. And, I look, and we were all dating seventeen. 17. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah. I love a good, you know, a teenage romance, especially like your first love or you. They're they're beautiful and they are bigger moments than maybe you realize. Like you said, looking back now, you go, "What were you doing?" They are big moments. Um, I just want to quickly go back as well. So with um, so this is seventeen. When you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like 
with the uh, the faith at home and the spirituality mm. side of things as well and the opportunity to explore that and mm-hmm. and and like you said people just say oh you're a christian because you raised christian um mm-hmm. like i just dis- i disagree with that in the sense of you know you still have like you said a brain in your head and options to explore and make decisions for yourself and 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 whatnot did you ever find yourself at any point john like what was the biggest challenge in that period how far did you go outside and look tell me a little bit about that experience and mm. when did you do that did you do that before i guess meeting katie and having those sort of mm-hmm. 17 mature type conversations or was that still something that you found later in life um, I know that spirituality is something for a lot of people can be discovered very young or discovered very late, mm. depending on, mm-hmm. I guess, what it is they're looking for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, it is. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so I would answer your question more directly, certainly before meeting Katie, um, although it would have been part of meeting Katie as well. So we, our church went through a fairly um, tumultuous time, I guess you'd say, and then actually had a division of the entire congregation. So it was a leadership um, decision effectively that under some of the leadership, it was the Uniting Church at the time and some of the United Church policies were fairly much the same as today's climate in some ways and that they were quite divisive. And so mm-hmm. half the church went one way, the other half went the other. I actually went, well, my parents and family went with the church that left or the community that left the existing church and then Katie's family actually stayed. And so we had, we didn't have time together during our sort of, I guess that's 13, 14, 15 um, and that would have been the time that the mum and dad were most clear about saying, ultimately, we believe God is God, Jesus is Jesus, this is our belief. We want you guys to explore that. However, the community we're a part of doesn't necessarily define that for us, but we believe that we're called to go here. Yeah. And now at the time, that was very difficult for me because many of my friends were still back <laughs> where we'd come from. Yeah. And yeah, I accepted that because I trusted my mum and dad. I was like, okay, look, this is what it is. Um, and so then, but around the age of 15, started to really explore myself. You know, what does this mean? Uh, so did I look outside? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the classic peer pressure stuff of year eight, year nine, year 10 at school where you've got everything opens up to your eyes for the first time. High school yeah. comes in, you've got, you know, the old, you know, good old parties where everyone's trying their first beer and having a go, at, you know, bashing a girl and all that stuff's going on in the background or in the foreground, really, in your life. You're going to parties where you told your parents you were, you're going to one kid's house to sleep over and 50 kids turn up and there's, you know, those classic, <laughs> classic party stuff. Classic. So, yeah. So I those guess parties are still going myself. up. Those, those parties are still happening. <laughs> yeah. We're just not part of them anymore. We, we grow out of them. But those things are still happening. Um, it's yeah, crazy yeah. to think. And we're going to experience that with our children in the future, which is terrifying. And terrifying. most certainly. Oh it's going to happen. It's <laughs> yeah. oh in the... So yeah, I explored my faith in that in that environment, I guess, and I was blessed that the, the dad was the vice principal of um, discipline at Padere. Um, mm-hmm. So we went to Padere. You know, mum and dad could not afford a school like that at the time, but because we got like it cost us like a tenth to go there because he was the teacher there, we went to that school, and that school had a wonderful community of a mix of people who were would say they were Christian, others who would say they were kind of probably agnostic. Mm-hmm. And others that were kind of, you know, completely saying that they they simply don't have a faith at all. And so it was, but it was a higher mix of Christian kids. And so exploring that, it was a safe environment to explore who you were. And yet, like every other high school, boundaries were pushed hardcore, you know. And so there was elements. And in fact, that year had a terrible reputation. All sorts of bad stuff was going on in it. So I guess I saw that and went, "What do I want now?" And I, that was that real value formation time for me. Of you know, what does it mean? 
and look, we had wonderful experiences of like church camps and, and community. Of, and I really saw the health of what a good Christian community can look like. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the, the dichotomy going on there was with, you know, not the unhealth of, of the other side of things, but what are they really pursuing? You know, like getting drunk. I'd never been drunk in my life. And I, I do remember the first time I got drunk and I was like, oh my gosh, this is frightening i do yeah. not want to feel like that ever again i like control and that was not control i don't want that again so obviously went through the peer pressure side of that that was probably the 14 15 16 year old exploration and and ultimately at 15 16 probably for the first time experience what i would say is an experience of god in my life actively sort of like almost changing my heart sense towards a lot of things and and actually felt a really strong active draw back to the original church that we've yep. been a part of yeah and so i had that conversation with mum and dad i feel drawn back here not because my friends are there just because i just feel like i'm meant to go back they had a best mate at the time we weren't really connecting at the church route like so we went back to the youth group and that was kind of when the whole mesh of these two crews kind of you know we had five or six guys and five or six girls just started hanging and chilling and, and doing life together you know over summer we got our peas we you know we had driver's licenses so we i guess we all of a sudden we could create this kind of extra community mm-hmm. outside of yeah. the school yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. And they were all people from different schools as well. So we had different schools, different churches, and then they new people, new experiences, a little yeah. bit more diversity in the yeah. range, just mixing it up a little bit more for sure. That's really important to have, mm. I think as many different um, perspectives around you as you can. I think that, you know, mm. ones that not only do align with you and your, your core values, whatever, but ones who are willing to challenge you as well. Um, mm-hmm to have those mm-hmm. those really beneficial conversations, those growth conversations. Um, and, yeah. and that period that you've described, that, you know, 16, 17, getting your P's, those are those value formation years. And to have people who can align with you so strongly, and that doesn't always happen at that age. Like you think you do. Um, you think you found someone who maybe does, but they only mm-hmm. do for a certain period of time. Um, but if yeah. you've, and I know that you've got a very tight, group of friends still to this day they yeah. are still those people yeah mm-hmm. a lot of them yeah correct yeah yeah and so many that's of those, the that's the real beauty in in those ones when you do have such strong alignments at that age mm. that you can then carry through those developmental years beyond 18 19 mm-hmm. you know early adulthood marriage family lifestyle and you can share those experiences with um and it sounds like that's something that you're doing very well with your uh, your group of friends around you yeah, and I think that's that's been it. And when you think back to those times where you're making it, and so again, I moved a church community by myself, really, without my parents for the first time ever mm-hmm. at 15. And you know, and yet those friendships now that have been established, and we went on Easter camp, which was very formative in that. You know, community together, four days, five days together, and yeah, so like this, I've got five really good mates, and all of them were in my our wedding. Um, all of them are still very good friends to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them have an important role to play in my life in it, at different levels and zones now because of life shift and change. But every single one of them is still, I'd say, they're the mates that if, yeah, and they're the friends yeah. that if, if something happened, they'd be there in a heartbeat. If something good, bad, or ugly, whatever it was, they'd be there to celebrate. They'd be there to help you up. They'd be there to give you advice that might be sometimes easy or hard. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> um, the yeah. people that you trust you trust with your life so yeah and i think and even that for katie i mean many of those guys are still those healthy guy friends for her yeah. which is 
it's pretty unique. So out of, out of the whole crew, a few of the others dated as well and they didn't kind of pan out as such. And, and we're the only two out of the couple, I guess, as a couple that have gone through that whole trajectory together, which is pretty cool. So it's, yeah, we're in a unique space, which is, is lovely. And it does have that element of real, yeah, relational heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've always, something that I've always honed in, I guess, is that I love the family of God, that, that you know, that one of my life verses I live by is 1 John 3, 1, and it says, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Mm-hmm. And that sense that we all have that common belief at different levels and different ways, to be honest, like we have common values. And so we have a family that's outside of our biological family, which is a massive blessing. And that's, I love that. Yeah, it's so good for us. Absolutely. So the two of you meet at 17, you've built this gorgeous mm-hmm. life together. Let's fast forward a little bit um, yep. because I don't want to skim over all of the successes within that. No, no, I know that there are, there's multiples in there. Um, you guys have three gorgeous kids. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, I guess, let me rephrase that. How would you place your successes in the different areas of your life because mm-hmm. you've obviously got the success of your relationship with Katie, the success of your parenting, and then the success of your business side. There's a lot that you're doing together and you guys have done so much together. And that, like you said, it really mm-hmm. works for you. Mm-hmm. What were the challenges, if any, did you experience along the way and or did you if always any, have if any i mean there's been no it's just been smooth sailing man smooth like, sailing. No, I know, yeah. <laughs> um but like with your uh, with your goals aligning because you you, mm. you have to have very clear goals both of you and they for them to line up so beautifully as far as like studying together being mm. able to do pilates together and open the open cadence together like it's a it's a really exceptional circumstance i think yeah, I, I agree, and yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, and, I, and I think that's, and honestly, we hear that a lot from a lot of sources, um, in that like external people looking into our life, and I'm absolutely, like, and that's just from an outsider, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, and I don't think that's, it's not wrong, um, and yet it's probably been the last year to eighteen months to maybe two years we've actually felt like that. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about challenges and what it looked like, and. And ultimately, I mean, the pathway you talk about that sort of, I guess, success on those things is it's always an ongoing journey. It's always a learning component. Um, look, if you ask us at the end of the day at seventh of forty-three, how successful we've been as parents by the end of the day, we'll probably give you a different answer to when we, you know, at eight forty-three a.m. You know, in fact, maybe, maybe similar at those times. But <laughs> but ultimately, you know, we we see the long game in that. We understand that, but yeah. but we also are so aware of our challenges and failings as, as parents and know that it's not all on us, which is great, but there's an element of we, we stick to a certain pathway and pattern as much as possible. We try and communicate about things, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of the overall, like our, our goals in our family life are certainly, I'll say it out loud, that our family is our number one priority. Well, Katie's my number one priority to me and then our kids come next. And yet it doesn't always look like that. And, no. and it hasn't always been like that. And that, it hasn't always, I've said that forever. I've always said that that's what I want it to be. Um, and I think Katie would be the same. We've said that we want it to be that. And yet 
the reality of life doesn't always align with that or allow it. And so I think that's such a fair yeah, comment. So, Absolutely. Like you can always set out with the best intentions that, you know, which is good to have. Um, but yet life's realities don't often allow for that. And those are the mm. things that are completely mm. out of your control. Some that some that are in your control, I guess. Like so some like and many of this is like oh so take it back five, six years ago, even before that, eight, nine years ago, when I was working as an employee, I would have said and I would say it fifty times I would have said, I'm never gonna run my own business. I'm never gonna run my own company because I'd see I'd see the toll that it would take on well, my father in law, Katie's dad is has run his own small business for 40 years. And so I've seen people in my life are very close to me who've run that and done it. I also saw my ex-bosses and people that, mm-hmm. you know, that I've worked very closely with, the strain and stress that's placed on them. And I'm going, I don't know, why would I want to do that? <laughs> like, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I guess that, that was a, a platform for me that I was one of those people that always said that. And I would say it out loud and people say, oh, but you could. I said, I, I recognize I could. And I think that was probably me articulating i don't want to do that because it will possibly create the ability not to prioritize my wife and my family and yeah i don't want that um yeah so i guess that the challenge i guess for me was always if we're going to walk into a business space how's it going to look and we started when i reflect on it now there's no good time to start a small business. There's, no there's good never time a good time. There's really, never a good time. It was never, the, it was never the perfect time, I guess. There's always a better time, maybe, or a time that maybe wiser or whatever. But when we, when I look back on it, I mean, it was six years ago. Eli was three. Max was just about to turn two. And Katie was very soon to be pregnant in a year or two's time with Chloe. So I'm like, that's crazy. You know, it has a family. But it's priorities. not. I say, and it's silly. I'm actually going to, I want to retract what I just said, but I'm like, there's never yeah. a good time. There's never a good time. No. That's the opposite of what I tell my clients as well. When I'm like, no, now is the perfect time. Like, it will, it's the right time yeah. now. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it now. Because every minute that you're not doing it, someone else <laughs> is. Or you know what I mean? Like, you're wasting away right. wondering. So I retract what yeah. I'm saying. And let me correct yeah. myself. Because yeah. quite right, like, even with the craziness of having two under two and or mm. about to, you know, planning on expanding the family again in that next sort of 12 to 18 months. You're right. It is a lot, let alone to then see how hard you have to work as mm-hmm. the founder. Plus mm-hmm. you were then instructing as well when you first started, yep. um, instructing the Pilates classes as well as practicing physio. Um, mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your business strategy there and tell me a little bit about cadence and why you started cadence what cadence stands for and and how that's Mm. tied so intrinsically to you the values that you've outlined the um i guess the idea the ideology of doing things with an open heart uh, a true heart and true mind to the best of your abilities to succeed Mm -hmm. those are, are really the cornerstones of the values of cadence and what your business yeah. stands for and your practice tell us a little bit about that yeah well, how long do you want me to talk for is the question i've got all <laughs> no, night john i've got I'll all start. night i have oh, been yeah. waiting for this conversation for so long and we like to schedule it i won't go into it for the listeners but for the two yeah, of us to actually find the while. time no i'm gonna stay here all night if i have to i no, no, i literally absolutely. i would love to know every bit yeah. 
and pick your brain as much as I can tonight while we mm. can and share these uh, these mm. insights because it's it's the truth of I think living to your authentic self. You are the epitome of that, and you're a great definition of it. The way that you've been able to to tie that to your business, and this is why I think your business is so successful in such a short space of time. Um, and many businesses who are so successful in the same way, it is because of their leadership. It is because of mm-hmm. that intrinsic and inherent mm-hmm. value that has been transferred from you into your business and everything that you've touched in that business, from your staff to the practices to the the energy of the space. Um, and that's mm-hmm. why your community mm-hmm. is so um, so successful, so tight-knit and, and such a, a supportive community to your business because you've created something very special to them. And I, I can say that because I'm not only part of it, but I know so many who rely on that mm. space as well. But that comes back to you. That comes back to you. Yeah. I can't say that any it differently. Does, no, you know, and that's, I, yeah, I'm very humbled to hear you say that. And I, I do, I do agree in that sense. And, and yet, and again, I, my sense of who I am, again, as, as a child of God and, and as who I am, is that it comes back really to what I believe. What I inherently and entirely believe is that God has good things for people and God has, God has a good space and good community for someone who needs it or wants it. And, and that was really born out of, I worked for the church actually. So I was part-time uh, at Robert's Physio, one of the you know, premier physio practices in Adelaide, a fantastic space to work. And, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it there and I was mentored heavily and it just grew so much and, and yet at the time, then Katie and I had some aspirations to travel. So we went and traveled um, and I came back. So we did a summer camp for six months with lifeguards on a beach, which was fantastic. We won't talk about that now, but it was, <laughs> man, what, what an experience. Fantastic. But it shaped us. We came home. We actually came home for a wedding. We'd planned to go to the UK for a couple of years. We'd had all our, you know, our registrations ready to go. We planned to go to the UK. We come back and our pastor at church says, look, I've been meaning to have this conversation with you guys there's a role come up at the church. We feel like you guys are sort of primed for it coming back with your experience from the States. So I actually worked as the young adults pastor at Oak Valley here for six years and, and got to the end of the point of that. And really the defining moments were based on is my career as a physiotherapist now the next step or is my career as a potential theologian or a worker in ministry going to be coming about? And so praying, spending time with God and, and really sense, and also circumstance and many things, but came to the conclusion that that really I was called to be, I guess, a conduit of, of God's grace and, and love and hope to the world in what, what, you know, in church world or Christian world we call in the world, you know, and I guess or in that sense of, I always hated that language, I'm like, that's rubbish, like, let's just be us and be, be who we're meant to be and who we're called to be. Yeah. And yet, how can we do that in a way that has integrity has uh, you know, hope that is often non-existent or, or lost in it in much of our communities we live in now that brings joy um, that that really does have that element of of you can actually be wonderfully good at something and love it and be passionate about it and be a Christian I mean those mm-hmm. two things can go together mm-hmm. you know and many times there's always this sense of like the Christian people that try or in the past many of the experience I've observed of of the Christian business person, shall we say, uh, in inverted commas. In inverted commas, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that they do a poor job of it. They kind of don't get it. They often 
put in this place is they've got this big dream, but they don't have a business plan. They don't sit down and actually do the work and 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 spend time formulating what it's going to look like. Um, and so for me, I had wonderful experience. I had you know six or seven key, which I listed a few of those mentors in my life who in the physio world had taught me not just the way to work, but also the way to sympathize with others to actually and I think inherently treat the whole person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Robert Sidda Therapy Practice was very heavily focused around chronic pain management and understanding of people. And so, you know, psychology was a big part of that. And I've had this balanced experience of of my field that others just that were that I was just blessed to get. And I know that was I believe that was God creating pathways for that. And so those experiences then led me to the point that I was practicing in such a way as a physio mm-hmm. that, you know, my word of mouth referral was just off the charts because I guess, and a lot of that comes down to um, being willing to explore with clientele the relational component between a trusted advisor, yes, and a professional relationship, but healthily sharing the boundaries of mateship, friendship, who we are as people, who God's made us to be. And so I found myself at work having all these conversations, you know, based more in that often. Hey, look, they come with the really, like they could hardly walk in with a really bad back, but my conversational component would turn into, you know, I feel like oh, a lot of this actually has a heavy hello, emotion, emotional connection to you. I walk mm. in with a crook neck and I walk out with a spiritual realignment. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it feels like. It is. You're definitely true yeah. to the whole person. And it's not even the conversation necessarily that you or I bring, but, you know, last week it was a conversation started out in the reception area between a random comment that, you know, led us down the path of discussion for the first five and a half minutes. But it's it's mm. it's refreshing. It is. It's you. And that's it's something to to behold, I think. It's something just so wonderful. And, and it's so great to hear you talk about it. Um mm in the sense of like, I can see the, the joy that it brings. And it's, it's not even yeah, an effort. It's, it's effortless for you because it is, it is so in you. And if that is, is you serving your, your purpose from God and that's mm. how you are, are doing your best work for God or, th- or through God by your practice and your community that you've created, then you are absolutely doing that. And that's something that I think is so amazing. Like, I just love that. I feel lighter having this conversation tonight. And it's funny how you say it carved a path for you career-wise and led you down. Mm. It led you to your mentors. Um, and there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of them. But you mentioned Robert's physio and you mentioned the, speci- mm-hmm. the specialty there was chronic pain. And it was... Mm-hmm. I think when you say God created this path for you to do this work, and I always believe in where you are is where you're meant to be, you know, whether Mm -hmm. that be through God's mission or me getting to my purpose. But when I looked up physios after Joya had first come home and said, there's a new physio down the road, I'm going to go. And then she came back and says, great, so lovely, really fantastic. We looked you up. And I see that you're from Robert's Physio and you're specialising in headache treatment and migraine treatment as well, which is at that point, you know, four or five years ago, I'm actually at my worst in my condition, which is when I first came to see Mm. you as well. So the opportunity that it afforded me was, you know, at the time I wasn't able to get in to see Robert's Physio, but then I got what I believe to be, well, I've got his underling or somebody who's been mentor, his protege here, 
who I'm getting mm-hmm. great feedback from people in the community who are talking about you, um, and 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 rightly so. The, uh, they were all right, <laughs> and I think that uh. that was that was for me. That was you know that is I think God putting us together. That was my God putting us yeah. together. It was your God putting yeah. us together? I say mm. our God because we can share mm. the same God. But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? God, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that that's totally. exactly and I think the, that's... The, the the journey that's led us here because that's mm. it's really what has helped immensely. Like the shared knowledge, your philosophy, your perspectives mm-hmm. that you would bring to the medical and the the spiritual side. It, mm. it does it does wonders when you work with someone and someone who's struggling. I love that you mentioned your mental state, like the ability for you to be able to like you had a lot of sympathy training and the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's often thought of. As far as like you said, if it's just a purely physical practice, come in, get cracked, get stretched, get rubbed down, make sure you do mm-hmm. these stretches and out the door. Um, mm. That's just not the case. You do have the ability to understand the physical pain, not only for chronic pain sufferers, but I'm sure for your sporting, you know, your sporting uh, clients that you see. Yeah, that's right. And it's certainly, yeah. And, and that's the boundary line that, that, really that Peter, like at work, Peter Roberts walked every day. He, he yeah. walked the boundary line of being willing to invest time, energy, effort, emotion, psychological load for his clientele because he completely believed in the holistic management of people. And and so I, I could totally marry up who I am in my beliefs, my understandings with the practice where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and it was, and, and Peter gave me complete autonomy to work how, you know, within the physio world, you work under a boss, but you also, you really are autonomous in how you work because it's, it's really like you, you're working with a team, but you are very one-on-one with clientele. And so he, he taught me so much around that understanding of people and being willing to, well, there was, there were times and there still are now today where I have a half an hour slot put aside, which in the medical world is actually very generous anyway, compared to many other unfortunate models of, of medicine that have come about. But within that at times half an hour is just not cutting it you know and now you and i we could i said we could spend the whole afternoon yeah i know you're <laughs> uh, yeah but i know you're in a space where you know you, you are healthy you in terms of your i know you've got things to deal with but there are people that come in carrying far greater burdens oh, than yourself totally. in the sense of, and yeah, so yeah. some of those burdens spend i spend hours two hours with at times and i have i'll sometimes have my office staff and it's not often but i, I try not to like to like to honor everyone however there are times where there's the right moment and right time to spend hours with a particular person because they need it now i'll have to speak with my admin stuff like, you're gonna to have to carve this out you're gonna to have to ring some people and they're not gonna be happy i get all that yet this is the important in the present moment so yeah yeah so i guess all of that and that was that was peter's leading you know totally so from there i was at this point of crossroads do i go physio do i go this way um, at the time, a person left Roberts and we, you know, I was sort of working as a senior there more or less anyway. Um, and we actually went down the pathway of discussions of, of purchasing Roberts as, as an um, entity. Um, and for many complex and realities of circumstance, it didn't work out. Um, and it was very quite mutual in how it didn't work out. It's fine, you know, how it went. And then, but then I sort of thought, well, why am I exploring that? But I've always said, I'm never going to do it. going to do it, yeah. <laughs> so, it's kind of, so, yeah, that was the point of, of exploration. And, yeah, when you look back on, when I reflect now on saying there's no perfect time to start a business or a new company, whilst there wasn't, 
the fact of the moment of this period of time was when I did jump into it, and I'm sure you have this this with many of your people you speak to in life, and it literally was all or nothing. You know, it was like, yeah. I spoke with Kate, I remember saying, like, if we go into this, we're going to have to spend every last cent we have setting this place up, getting ready, starting the practice. You know, we're going to spend six months where, you know, you've got non-compete clauses where you can't work within certain zones yeah, and work yeah, yeah. and whatnot. And all those challenges so that all that, yeah. Yeah, and so that was the start point of Cadence. You know, Cadence has started in a, in a sense of, all right, God, I believe you meant you want me to do this, so I'm going to have a go. Um, I wrote a business plan. I had a very wise business advisor. I spent time, effort, energy. I spent six months. In fact, I'm sitting in the room right now in the front room of the house where it got to the point where we were scratching for the next dollar in our bank account. And I was I set up a room here and we had some clientele come through that had rung me and tried, you know, ex-sports people I'd work with and said, I need, I need you now. I'm like, well, I don't have anywhere now, and but I do need 20 bucks. <laughs> I come yeah. around my house. And so you turned your I'll house into a little, a little practice there. you got to yeah, do these things. So, so I love the fact that, mm, like you said, it's all or nothing because in those moments as well, mm-hmm. you've really got to back yourself more than anything. Mm-hmm. And and often it's that mental block where you're like, oh, if that hesitation where even if you mm-hmm. have that plan B, you, you might not. You know what I mean? Like you, you know you've got a safety net, whereas if you go all in, there's no safe. Yeah. You have to make this. There's move. no plan B, mate. There's, there's no, no plan, plan B. B. I love that. That's the way to do <laughs> yeah, it. That's the, the way, way that it. I do most things. So, yeah, yeah. you, you got to do it. The practice at home, that's an exceptional mm-hmm. little pivot as far as like a mm-hmm. business turn. How long did you have to do <laughs> yeah. that? For? Just the six months in the lead up? Or? Oh, look, yeah. And it was all very under the radar. I had my provider numbers and everything set up so I could do that. <laughs> of course. Legal. Legal. Yeah, it was yeah. legal. <laughs> yeah, but it was legal. Um, just. But no, I mean, I was, you know what, and I look back on it now and I think, and I've never said this out loud, but it was very formational in what I had to do to get a practice start. I had no idea. Yeah. Absolutely no clue. When I, when I think back on it, I'd had some advice from the business side. I'd set up my company and I'd go, okay, this is how I do that. But in terms of actually, like, with the medical world, there is a whole series of hoops you got to jump through taking a varied level of time. And, that, and then five years ago, it's now online, but it wasn't then. And it's, uh, it was a, a scary process. I was like, looking, oh my gosh, this could take months to just get a provider number and a you know, registered practice number and all these things that I had no clue, absolutely zero idea on the back on it now. Uh, and yet I've learned fast and had to. Um, and so getting all that set up was as stressful as anything. And I remember actually sitting with our heritage group friends, with a life group, we ran with our church and I'd never had anxiety in my life. I'd never had stress. I, life was good, you know. I've gone from wanting to be a vet to wanting to be a physio, marrying the girl of my dreams, going through the realities, you know, and strolling through it with some, you know, blips along the way, but nothing really hard. Bought a house, travelled overseas, had a good time. Taking all, all the sudden, boxes, bang, yeah. Yeah, just sort of doing it. And then all of a sudden I've made this decision, we can make this work. Wow, building delays, you know, on the practice, getting it built just because of that happens when you're building. Always, <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know, on the practice registration stuff, it took a lot longer. There was such paperwork that I had no clue. I thought I've got a provider number, just switch that over, right? No dramas all, not quite that easy. Um, you know, so it's just a laugh after delay. And so hence the starting the practice, you know, house, set up the bed, I actually purchased a bunch of equipment from an old physio practice that had closed down in Mount Bark. I got in the car, got the trailer in the back, went up and picked it all up, brought it back to my house, put it in the shed. Hustle, the bed. Hustling. This um, is it. This is yeah, where it just, just making it happen, mate. And that's, yeah, so that was the make it happen moment. That lasted for three or four months. Um, and then 
the, the practice was getting built down at Turner Court. We looked at that venue. We knew it was great. Father-in-law and brother-in-law are building it. Father-in-law goes overseas for periods of brother-in-law takes over. In some ways, thank God, don't tell the Nick that. He was that awesome, but obviously, <laughs> yeah, but no, but Will had to do it. And, and Will was pretty inexperienced in doing this whole sort of stuff. So some stuff went a bit awry and whatever. And I'll never forget, we were standing in the Dana Court site. And in fact, the first client who I still see to this day um, is actually a massage client. But I was standing in there and we had this big bit of a sheet of black plastic like you do with building the back. So if you know Dana Court, there's a studio at the back and the front of the rooms. The back studio was not complete. There was nothing. No floors, nothing. There was, there was no front desk. We had a desk we purchased from Freedom to sit in the front. We had high caps plugged in, which is the way you charge and build your, build your stuff, plugged into the PowerPoint, stuck on the front desk. This bloke walks in, and I'm saying I have this conversation with Will, my brother-in-law. I said, Will, this is on the 14th of, I think it was the 14th of August, 2015. I said, Will, we're going to start. Like, I got clients coming in. <laughs> yeah, I got clients, A, and B, we have no money. Like, we have yeah. nothing. Yeah. We need turnover. Like, I don't care if we have, if we make losses, we can work through that, but we have spent every cent we have and it's, it's in the works. So it's going to get there, but we need to actually physically start now to be able to just yeah. have something ahead of the game. Um, so we did that, you know, I'm standing there, we have that conversation. Ian walks in the door. He says, ah, I've been up the road. I've been having this massage up there for like the last two years, but I've turned up today and the woman who's meant to be there is just not there. <laughs> like, do you guys do that here? And I'm like, yeah, man, like we can. Um, I had the front room set up. I was like, you, he goes, and you, he goes, and just by chance, I'll, I'll pay cash. Like, I'll, I just need it, mate. I've got a bad back. I'm a patisserie chef. I cannot work without this done. You know, I need to. Have, I've had a back injury 10 years ago as a work. I said, well, I'm a physio. I do have some background in remedial. I can give you what I can do for you today. If it suits, we can make it weekly if you're cool with that. You know, sure, if you want that. I'll provide that service because I'm at this point going, I'll take any client. I'll take anything. This is great. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> this is God's this is God's message to you saying you need to start. Oh, so- I said to him, Well, I need to start now. And Ian walked Ian saying, Mate, I need yep. someone now. And so yeah. Ian, Ian, I still see to this day, and I've seen him weekly, literally for five years. And yeah, so and he's the only person that I still see for an hour every week. Honestly, like I don't see anyone else for that length of time. There's periods of time where I was you know, working insane hours and you, you have seen parts of that and you saw the way I had to work to make things happen yeah, really. And yeah, also, yeah. it's also my history. Like I knew how to work that way. So I did. And it was still valuing people. It was still valuing the clientele. It was still valuing and bringing great physio treatment and active management. Not as good as it is now. Though. My medical treatment now is back to where it was in Robert's days. And it took a while to get back there because of structural business. So we're in a, we were in an environment where I, I am the product is, you know, I'm the product, I'm the productive component. And so, yeah, like you said, you said it, I've worked, you know, I started Pilates classes at 6am. I finished at 7pm mm-hmm. in the middle there somewhere. I managed to find a way to do the billings and pay the bills and do the reconciling and yeah, super organic start to a startup business. You know, you start it, you know, your skill, you're very good at your skill, but you have no clue how to run a business, zero. I had a business plan and I'm watching that go, yeah, right. Just forget that for a bit and make this work, John. So I made it work for a bit and then it went really well for a couple of months. And then our first employee, Talia, sister-in-law, Talia, you do anything tomorrow? She's like, nah, all right. You want to come do some work? I need a front desk person. Like we need this now because the phones are ringing. I can't answer it while I'm treating. This doesn't work anymore. And so, yeah, she became our first employee. All meant um, to be. She's run a yeah. tight practice. Take me yeah. back to, you said like with the startup side of it and running a business, having mm-hmm. no idea and even having a business plan and being prepared. 
what would your advice be now to anybody who's going into a startup business? Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, uh, looking back on it, my first year, I, I, in fact, my readings I've done a lot of was in my church work. So I've done a lot of leadership reading, a lot of structural management, strategic decision-making in the work I did at church. I had a lot more time given to me to read. And so a guy by the name of John Maxwell, who I just absolutely, uh, if I talk about a mentor, he's not a direct physical mentor in who he is, but in terms of who, what he writes, how he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he, he wrote a great, a wonderful book called Developing the Leader Within You. Um, and it's now got a 2.0 on the end of it. It's a new edition. It is, if you talk about resources, I didn't get that list directly to you. I will if you want to, but that is, that is the one resource that I would say as, because as a, as a business owner, at whatever level you are, you're going to lead, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to. And so leadership is all about service. It's all about understanding that you are serving others. That is what leadership's all about. And, and John Maxwell's formational understanding in that book, there is just so much gold. It's more of a forming of who you are as a character, um, but also it gives you a great insight into how to set, a, I guess, a group of values. Um, and, and he talks about it in, you read, listen to his podcast, you read his books, he talks about values driving your company. And so I reread that early on that first year. I was making it happen. Like, like business was going relatively well. We had people coming through the door just because, well, yeah, look, we'd strategically chosen a location. It was in a good spot. Um, my network was large in this area. There's lots of reasons. Um, but I, I started to recognize very early on that if I didn't start to set, our business plan is still the same business plan. We haven't, well, we've grown far greater than what we thought we would in that period of time. But regardless of that, the same premises of the plan apply. Everything else, but yeah. We had, we, yeah, but we hadn't set values. We hadn't, we'd set a mission, um, but it hadn't really been formulated. Um, and so you look back on it and I go, well, that was the whole local. You know, we knew it was local. So I started to formulate. I said, look, what is it? Simple. Our simple mission is to bring joy to local communities. That's simply what it is. Now, that can be through Pilates or it can be through health and active lifestyle, through physiotherapy. But it is that is the essence of it. So write, write that down on a piece of paper. You know, kind of, so I'll show you this, you know, the, the black book. The black book. <laughs> there it is. This is from you, the inspiration. Handwritten notes, you know, volumes of volumes of it, where you write down your scroll things. I tend to write on all sorts of anything everywhere and it ends up all over the place. But I started it and then I read another book and it talked about, yeah, setting your company values. <laughs> there it is. Good. Holding up my notes. Very good. Yeah, so good. And so I started to set the values and, and we started to refine those and put them into place. And, and in this place, I'm working my butt off. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a, I am a workhorse. I can work. I can slog you know, it out and make it happen. Like, I think I'm a busy person. I think that I'm someone who works incredibly hard around the clock on all the different projects, family, like the balance that you have to have to be successful at a, at a certain level that you want to perform at. I think yeah. I'm busy. I know your schedule. Like I said, even just to have this chat tonight, like for us to carve it out, was just like, it has to be now, but we've got it and mm. let's do it. You, you work so incredibly hard and this isn't a podcast for mutual admiration. But I say it to you as a as a peer as well, like in the sense of like I really believe in celebrating those around you um, in your community mm-hmm. or even in your friendship circles, your extended circles, even a stranger, celebrate a stranger if they're doing something well um, because it's those little 
bits of encouragement that help lift someone. Um, and I think that it's, you know, brings out the best in you as well. So I want to support you. In, and when I tell you that, like, you work really hard, I mean that because I see you doing the admin, the practicing, and then especially in times of crisis, like peak crisis last year, peak crisis really spurred out a peak result for Cadence last year with the, the need mm. to adapt going from, you know, COVID lockdowns, no more practicing, no more Pilates, no more physiotherapy, nothing. The immediate action to go online and take mm-hmm. the classes thanks to technology like Zoom. That is an honour of the team. Like- that brings me back to what I wanted to to hook this to, which is you mentioned, you know, the, the leader within is about instilling values in your business mm-hmm. and instilling, instilling mm-hmm. these values. So the the Cadence is definitely a values-based company without a doubt. And that comes through, like I said, everything you touch in that business, as far as like the staff touch points and the whole experience, your core, your five key values are authentic Mm -hmm. relationships, precision and creativity, inclusiveness, teachability, and generosity. So Mm -hmm. those five values, and this is, I guess, like, to go right back, another conversation is exactly what I was trying to articulate and perhaps I didn't do it too well. But when I say it is inherently you, this is where mm. I believe the success of the business sits because it is so clearly based on your values because your values could equally be those five. That, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that's well, look, and That's in, in every way. Yeah, and much of our, and that's that's the mesh and the, the mash and the mesh that we get to live together, which is, is yeah, it's a massive, it's an incredible blessing to be able to set a value in place. Authenticity for us in relationship is is everything. And, and so I guess our values are a sense of cascade that we, you know, we honour them all, but we certainly honour them in certain ways and certain levels to a degree because of, the beliefs we hold um, and yet uh, anything we discuss, the way we shape what we do, the decision we make to move forward has to fit or all five of the values have to really be inherently engaged with it, but they have to fit at least one of them or, mm-hmm. and so healthy proactive conversations with staff through to do we open a new studio, you know, they're all going to be discussed in the basis of a value. Um, and and all underlying underneath the mission of bringing that joy to local community. So, and I guess initially that that mission was bring joy to the local Dernicourt community. <laughs> it literally was that. It was that well, was my community. That, they're my roots. You know, Dern, well Dernicourt Highbury. You know, that I grew up. I grew up the North East. Bring it over to the North East. Yeah, and you yeah, can tick, but tick the, the that vision. box very quickly. Bring joy to that community. <laughs> Did that in about five minutes. But, yeah, but the vision wasn't any bigger than that. It, and I, again, once I said, I've said so many things out loud that I know now. And as a business leader, I think somebody will say to someone, "Don't say some many things out loud," because <laughs> you've got to regard, regress on them. But I said, I said, I don't want it. When I first started Cadence, I want to run it because I've been a part of large practices. I don't want to be a large practice. We want to be a small, local, serving the local community practice that does its thing and does a good job of it. And we'll get to a certain point. Hence why. Dernan Court is a small space and now we're kind of bulging at all the seams there and in all sorts of problems because we're trying to work out how to shift and change and, and that's all good. But there's an element of that was the point. And so my roots were here. I know this zone. I know the people that live in this area. I know how they, you know, live their life because it's been my life. 
yeah. and I want to honor that and I want to serve that and I want to be an asset to that community. And so that was the mission that then established the values. And now we live through those values because we want authenticity. We want our people to know that. And it starts with Katie and I, you know, and so you talk about the COVID scenario, we sat in front of our staff and we said, look, we're shutting. And again, I sat there in front of people on the Monday night and I said, we will not go online. It's not what we do. Like we do, we're in-person people. We don't, we're not trying to provide online service. And then by the Friday afternoon, I announced we're going online guys. <laughs> you know, I remember texting of, you. I remember was, texting you that night. I remember watching the press conference and ScoMo on the telly says, uh, mm-hmm. we're listing off the businesses that will shut and will no longer be able to be open as of tonight. Uh, hairdressers, personal grooming, barbers. Pilates. He said Pilates. Yeah, Pilates, Pilates like, yeah. No, that's you did not just done. say that. <laughs> but I just remember being like, oh, and I texted you straight away and was like, we'll get you online. Like, we need to get mm. you online. It's the openness, like you said, I'll, you know, you've said it in your journey already. I was never going to start a business. I don't want to start a business. You started a business. I'm not going to go online, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go online. And it's not just, I think, the idea that you put forth first with, any sense of rigidity to say I'm not going to do that or resistance, but you do have this ability to then be open to if it's going to yeah, benefit look, you, if, that, you know, if it's a positive outcome, yeah. you have to be willing to adapt. And that's that's something mm. that is going to continue to lead to your success. That's your business side. So we've talked very mm. heavily about, I guess, like the business and how that came about and how your your values have been so, you know, ingrained in them in the business mm-hmm. we've talked a little we've talked a little bit of length about your spirituality and, and the faith and how mm-hmm. that has shaped your life your your i guess your pathway as you said yeah talk to me a little bit about the physical side for you because you we've we talked just at the beginning and mentioned you know you're an endurance runner you're on marathons you're very heavily active mm-hmm. um as far as your active lifestyle goes how yeah. how does that then serve your flow for these different mm. sectors of your life where does your balance sit and how does the exercise come mm. into play yeah um a lot of that comes down to your integrity as a person um and so my philosophy of life is that yeah we're a holistic person and my philosophy as a physiotherapist and now as a, a, a very experienced physio i've been doing it for many years but is that every single person that walks through the door needs to be seen holistically. And I'm so aware that our overall Western culture is so sedentary. And so we sit still a lot. And I was the kid that could never sit still. I was the kid that my father was incredibly disciplined with me. I honor him. He's, he's people say, who's your hero? My dad is my hero. Totally. He, in so many ways, in, in his spiritual walk and his physical walk, he's a, he's a I call him a jogger now, but he, he's run since the early ages of early twenties and he still runs every day now. And, and he gets up at five thirty every morning, does his devotions, is, has those holy habits in life. And I sense that, that that's been instilled within me. And I just, oh, I think dad didn't have a lot of time to, he did so much for us and empowered us. Like took us to endless sports games and whatnot, but he didn't have a lot of time to sort of just be with us except for when we were doing something. So yeah, we were building yeah. a back pool or we were doing something. But I, I was able to observe his life so inherently because of the oldest son thing and 
just where, where his life was at when I was growing up and compared mm-hmm. to where my brothers were, probably allowed to see that. So that really then formed a, a nature of seeing dad do that. was like, well, that's just what you do. You, yeah. you get up and you go for a run, you, you exercise. Um, and so for many years it was sport for me. I played you know, high level basketball and you know, sort of state league reserves and pushed as hard as I could in that and had some wonderful people and coaches in my life for that. So that was that formed a very structured form of that, but I'd go to the gym every day and play basketball three times a week and train twice a week. So it was kind of, that was all part of my life. And then you hit 30, you start a business, you read John Maxwell's books and he says, you, the first thing he says is you cannot run a healthy company if you don't look after yourself and remain healthy. And that just went bing, ding, yep, that's in my head. That should that's go for everything, my... not, just, not just a company, yeah. but just for, it should be uh, oh. for everything. You can't do anything well if you're not looking after yourself. Most certainly. Although yeah, and that, that's, that's what I tell people don't... all the time. And we feel like it feels so stupid to say that, doesn't it? It feels like such a basic thing, mm. like you should know that. Of course you can't do anything if you're not looking after yourself. And yet that's probably the thing that we need to be reminded of the most, isn't it? Like just mm. to, to take care of yourself. Right. So I'd say that 80%, 80% of my professional consults begin and end there. And, so, <laughs> and that is, so if I'm beginning and ending that there, with you know, when I was at peak of consulting, I would see 30 people a day and you look at 80 percent of 30 is 24 you're 24 people a day yeah. i'm saying to you your major concern is not the fact that you have pain in your foot your knee your ankle your back it's that you have not literally gotten out of your chair for eight hours yeah and then you go home and your family life hits you and you don't do anything oh but i can't get out of bed early in the morning well you don't sleep well because you don't exercise um my dad's mantra in life was eat well sleep well exercise well and do it again. <laughs> repeat, <laughs> so it was, yeah. Repeat, yeah. And, and that's that's his match for life. And he, he said it to me out loud. He showed it and he, and he showed it to me. So that's where that's come from. That And so I look back on how I've become a physiotherapist now and I go, well, this fits my model. If it's who I am, it fits why we run strength conditioning Pilates because people often get to the point that they're healed from their injury. And yet, what do I do now? I don't know. I don't know if I can do this without someone else. Well, okay, here's an option for you. It's not mm-hmm. everyone's thing. It might be your thing. It might not be. But you need to be doing something. And World Health Organization, um, many research groups, you know, running journals, you know, the amount of research out there that shows us that general physiological exercise does not need to be high intensity, but at a level every single day of your life will restore physiological balance. So for me, I step out of a, a very structured, accountable sport life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm a very driven, I say, and goal-orientated person. I said, well, what am I going to do? I'd never run in my – I'd never actually been for – just been for a run pre six years ago, seven years ago. Really? I'd never actually – I think – yeah, absolutely. And so that's wow. – again, a lot of people – yeah, so before seven years ago, I'd never walked out there and go, hey, let's just go for a run. <laughs> no way. Oh, I love best. sport. It's the so, best. Like yeah. I'm not as dedicated – a runner since moving up here because I don't like running on yeah. the hills. Um, yeah, but <laughs> Tell me about it. I know I can't. I can't do the hills. But when we were living um, down on the flats in McGill, mm. it was mm-hmm. like, like just ten k's a night, best thing, and running every night. Like, and I run for a long time. Even living uh, mum and dad's place, you know, you go for a run along the foothills there, and it was 
quite mm. quite nice through there. But it, I find, like you said, it's that balance of the energetic, the physical side, mm-hmm. and then the benefit mm-hmm. of the good sleep and then the mental clarity the next day because you've had a good sleep. And for me personally, it's a real tie of the mental thought mm-hmm. process and the, the flow of my thinking happens when I'm moving through space and time physically, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, that, and, that is yeah, money me, for me Yeah, when I'm blocked mentally or if I'm stuck on a problem, I can't, you know, think straight or if I'm trying to strategize something, mm. just go for a run, go for a walk, move, just move through space. Mm. That's it. And yeah. I believe we, I believe totally that we are created to do that. That, that yeah. is, that is inherently within us and, and you cannot avoid it. And so whilst yes, we can look at the outcome and say, this is why you are experiencing X, Y, and Z because you don't do this. In fact, we're created to do that. So that if we do that, then yes, we somewhat avoid these outcomes, but we actually perform at a mm-hmm. better level. And that yeah. is the, that is the essence of what we are trying to achieve with exercise is that yes, exercise is, it is motion in space. You just described it so well. And so for me, even like things like, you know, at school, I hated sitting still. I wanted to move. I learn when I move, I can listen to a podcast. I can absorb my own thinking, but I can also, and many like even take a prayer meeting at church, (laughs) sitting still and praying to God. I'm kind of going, my brain is just going, it doesn't actually, compute anything well, I start moving, it slows my brain down, my body's moving faster, but I'm actually slowing my mind down. And so you talk about mindfulness and the component of how that has come into physical and mental health care now. And for me, that's my mindful space. Yeah. Is when I yeah. get out and I run. And you can ask Katie this if she can attest to this. If I haven't run or exercised, I'm not in a good space. Like I'm, I'm a healthy yeah, person. Don't run, but totally, but you just, you're I'm, a bit on edge. Yeah. Not you personally, mm. you, anybody. I know I am. I get a bit like, yeah, on edge, just a bit, it's maybe snappy. And it's a bit like, just go for a run. Just get outside, hit the pavement. Mm. I yep. need to do it more. Absolutely. I need, to, I do need to do it more. And you tell me each week when we, when we speak, you do say you're running. I say oh, a little bit on the treadmill here or there, maybe a walk, but nowhere near the level I should be doing. But I find that I've been could be uh, could be doing. I could be what doing more. Could be doing, Vince. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say could. could I, could's a better premise. I actually just was. I wrote it down today in my notebook here. I was saying I need to stop saying mm. should, and replace that mm-hmm. whole conversation so rather than saying i should be running i should say i enjoy mm-hmm. the way i feel when i run do you know what i mean like just there to reframe go. that a little bit better. there you go there's where you yeah, want to yeah. do that's a good lesson for everybody remove the shoulds and just explain the positives great where does your discipline for the running especially when you're in training mode how mm. does that differ so if if running is your you know, your thinking space your mental space mm-hmm. when you're training does that differ for you because i know from for me, I was never a, uh, like I played a bit of sport growing up, just a little bit of soccer and stuff, but I was, my physical activity was dancing. I was always in dance classes, mm. bit of soccer. Like yep. I said, it was cross country running at school and, and like athletics. I really enjoyed athletics um, in school and a bit of gymnastics. But outside of that, it was dancing, tap dancing, ballroom dancing. And the ballroom dancing mm-hmm. was intense as far as, you know, doing sort of 15, 16 hours a week of in the studio, stretching, training, dancing. Like that's that's crazy around school for a kid. I Now when I look back at it, I go, well, is it crazy? But I guess we're competitive as well as competitive ballroom dancers. So you have competitions yeah. a couple of times a month and we're travelling, you know, all around Australia or overseas for these competitions. And the discipline, I guess for me, 
my physical activity was always tied mentally to a discipline. Like I was going to a dance mm. class and I've got to, you know, you're working harder, you've got to be better than, it was so competitive and I always wanted to be the best. So for me, all of my physical exertion was tied to learning and perfecting a mental pathway as well of like the routine, I suppose. Mm. Running, mm-hmm. running is different for me. Running then became my quiet time because when I was running, it was just me and the sound of mm. my feet on the ground or a podcast or whatever it was. And I could just switch off. So for you, for running to be that, which it is when you're training, is that a different disciplinary mode mentally for you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And no. Um, and, and that's something that, yeah, when I look back on it, I think seven or eight years ago, I set myself a goal of, of achieving 10 marathons in 10 years, one a year. When I finished my basketball career, I thought, well, I got to just do from scratch. Um, was that like I'm going to do ten marathons in yeah. ten years from scratch? So year one, you're just going to go go for it without like a year of training yeah. beforehand. Is that what you're saying? Correct, correct. So I mean, I, I did just a Cedar Bay. In. I trained. I, I, I trained for a Cedar Bay first. So I must, yeah. Sorry, I, I regret. So I did do a Cedar Bay. Just on the, I can't remember what that was. I think on a whim, like someone said, "Oh, why don't you just try Cedar Bay?" Or I'll have a go. Um, I think around like a 54 or something. That was pretty decent. I'm a relatively fit guy. That's very good. Bit. First year um, in here. And then go. I sort of thought, yeah. And I guess with a started cadence, um, it all went hand in hand, much of it, in the sense that I was, I was the planning phase of starting cadence had begun. And it all crossed over with the end of my basketball career. I thought, well, you know, that's very, like I said, accountably disciplined by your coach. If you rock up five minutes late, you're running yeah, yeah. You know, back and forth along the court 30,000 times because you were five minutes late. I think that's a bit unfair, but that's how it was. Um, and so I had very disciplined coaches. Um, and yet endurance running takes an incredible self-discipline yeah. to, to achieve the finish, not to do well, just to finish. You physically, so I did a bit of research. I had a friend that had done a marathon and a little bit like my physio career. I had a friend that recommended you should try physio. You should try marathon running. Okay, why not? It seems like a challenge. I'm always up for a challenge. I love a challenge. Um, and so I thought, well, I took it on. My first uh, marathon was the Barossa. It was an 18-week prep. Yeah, I'll just sign up to that in terms of like I just read a thing online. It was a basic thing. I printed it out. I mean, I could follow that. No dramas. I've always liked mornings, so getting up. You know, I get up sometimes. Some people say they're insane hours. I call them committed, not crazy, you know. And so, you know, but the hours of 3, 4 a.m. are not uncommon for me to be awake and running because I have to get the hours in before work. And before work, so yeah. I, I enjoy, yeah. Yeah. So I enjoyed the discipline of that and I enjoyed the – but within that, you have such a long – so I ran – on Tuesday, I ran 35K. And running 35 kilometers, you can get to the point I got there an hour in and I went, I don't want to keep going. I'm done. I'm, I've had enough mindfulness, I've had enough run, I've had enough, my legs hurt, but I need to do this training. I've got a marathon in four weeks. I need to know if I've got it in me. And so yeah. you, you kind of get over that little hump within the run and all of a sudden you hit the zone and that zone, you've talked to other runners that have done it, the zone you get into is like nothing else. It is. No. It's like a trance. I, 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 yeah, I can't even, I can't even. And so that next hour and a half, you know, until I get to the hurt point again. <laughs> yeah. So two and a half hours, the run's about a three hour run. I am, I can't really tell you where I went. I don't even know. In fact, I don't know how I stay safe, but you do. You, you are aware that you're not. And so you're in this incredible mindful state. You, you are. So within that run, you've got the, I guess the warm up hour. <laughs> you kind of just get it done. 
you get the hour and a half where it's bliss and your mind is off but on your most creative thinking spaces are there your your most you're in a real state of flow at that point yeah your deepest personal thoughts come i believe for me it's that connection with god that happens most there my thoughts about what i want for katie our family all that comes in Mm -hmm. then you hit two and a half hours and everything hurts and you're back to the world of reality like that (laughs) yeah pulls you back down yeah yeah so that's what it is it is the essence of discipline but within even within one run you can have all of those components so and yet training when you're training you have to do speed work you gotta do hill work you've got to do to, to achieve a goal so i started at my first marathon was a 336 i then had an injury i did a 352 and had another reasonably poor lead up but still managed to a 319 had a good lead up to 311 a really good lead up the next time to 306 and the last one was a 304 so I'm getting better by, and the last lead up was terrible because COVID last year was a shocker. I'm trying to go into three hours, right? So I want to go into three hours, kind of like the amateur marathoners dream pursuit, but it's really hard to go into three hours. Yeah. Um, and because you're running it, you know, four tens, four elevens, for 42.2 K, it's a long way. And so I guess this time I feel like my prep's been better, but within that, your training mechanisms have to have hard efforts in it. And so those runs are, hard physiologically they're hard mentally they're hard emotionally they're hard psychologically so that but they're the ones that give you the biggest runners high yeah yeah. so you get a reward physiologically for it but they ruin you for the next day (laughs) yeah honestly maybe that's my thursday thing we started this whole conversation why is my thursday not so great my wednesday is my hard effort run and so right, I'm yeah. physically, you know, down a bit after that too. So that's, yeah, that's the rhythm of your week, but it sets a structure for your week. It allows you to see. And yet the more marathon, and you say everyone, you read about it, so your best marathons are between marathon five and 10 for results because, and I know that now because I don't put the pressure on every run anymore. It used to be like in a training mechanism, they said the discipline, if I missed a run, I'd feel bad about it. Just oh, be hard on yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now it's like, oh, I missed 10K. I'm kind of like, ah, oh, big deal. I know it's not going to ruin me for the run. <laughs> if I miss four speed efforts in a row, as in four weeks of speed, yeah, work, yeah. then it's going to affect my outcome. Of course. Uh, yeah. So That's great because it brings us right back, like you said, almost like to the back of the, the very beginning of the conversation to your Thursdays. But with the um, your routine, you also said at the beginning of the conversation, you're very routine very mm-hmm. habitual and your mornings. I know that you and I share that as far as being morning people. Mm-hmm. Tell me how important your habits and your rituals for your morning are to the success of your day and how big an mm-hmm. impact do you believe that has actually played over the last, say, six years in mm-hmm. your success? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I mentioned before I, I label them the holy habits and when I, when I put holy to anything, it's almost like, you know, holy grail, um, God is holy. It's an element of it's better than you can actually achieve maybe, but you're trying to achieve it. And it kind of is a sense of glory about it, you know, and that is the element of, I guess, the habitual component of my life is that. I love that. Whilst, yeah. And whilst my life is, and to be honest, it's, it's a weekly rhythm. You know, that, that I'd say that it looks a hundred percent. I often, 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 often every week I say to people, you know, people are like, well, when do you find the time to do all these things that you seem to do as well as 
I have a family and like, it's a rhythm. I say it every week. I'm like, you get in the rhythm. Like I know the rhythm of I'm up every morning between five and 5.30. I have breakfast at six o'clock. Like we've got a routine. Every morning I do the same thing. I start my day at the same time. I do all my admin mm-hmm. work. I know that I've got like mm-hmm. seven hours of work in the office ahead of me. And then straight after that, I've got yep. to pick up. And then I, like, there's an hour of dinner. There's an hour of bedtime. Like everything is incrementally broken down, but it becomes then mm. the rhythm of the week. So that even when come, you know, Monday night yeah. or Thursday night, I feel like, oh, I'm a bit lethargic tonight. I also know what's quiet of me as far as input and output, which comes back to what you're saying, where you go, if I miss that 10 K mm-hmm. previously, you'd be like, ah. Oh. I've missed that town. It's going to really cost me. And you probably you probably do more damage to yourself by wearing yourself down mentally and beating yourself up over it mm. as opposed mm. to going, well, I know that I've missed that input tonight. Therefore, tomorrow I need to have double that input if I want to meet the same outcome. So it's managing your yeah. expectations and knowing your body and your performance, I suppose. Not just your body, but knowing your, your yourself. Mm. It's knowing yourself. Yeah. 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 I completely concur in that. And that does, it comes down to now that, in fact, more than ever now, I can manipulate my week work-wise. Yeah. How to I suit. want to work. Absolutely. Okay, I, could, I could actually sit back and say, I don't want to work for the next six weeks. And, and our company will be absolutely fine because it has critical people in it. However, work places its structure in things, um, which I, I love. And I, I when I go on holidays, I miss my routines. <laughs> I've got a two-week two week holiday grace period because... Otherwise, because it, it is, it's just different, you know. I very rarely do I sleep in on a holiday, but I don't have the same, you know, I've got these three or four running routes that I can do around my house that just bring me back to being me. And so mm. I can take one of those, took one of those routes yesterday and it, it just is it's grounding, you know. And so it, I guess that's part of it, but the rhythm of life is that as much as possible, Katie and I both do this, we try and create the same week each week which sets an expectation, which gives you boundary, which promotes flexibility. So if you have boundaries, and that's one of the, I guess, our, our rhythm of our week is to set our boundaries and our expectations each weekend or each Sunday before we talk about, this is what our week's looking like. Nothing much changes, but hey, we can actually flex here because our boundary is here and we have a rhythm that we know that our Wednesday morning looks like this. Totally. So totally I guess fair. I don't have really particularly, my days all look very different. My weeks look the same. So my Monday yeah. is the same as next week's Monday. Totally, so, totally, totally. And that's totally. the difference, yeah. 100%. Mm. I absolutely echo that. And we're exactly the same as far as like our schedule and routine goes as well. But it's that flow. It's what works for us. So people will be like, well, if you are doing the same thing, that leaves no room for spontaneity and excitement and adventure. And what are the, that the things you're missing out on? And it's like, well, I'm not missing out on them. I can flex them where I need to flex them. But if I miss out on them, yeah, I'll miss out on them. Like it's... You know what I mean? Like there's a priority as well. Yep. Yeah. And I think that, that, that that's that boundary of that healthy rhythm yeah. actually allows the spontaneity because Definitely. you are, your, your mindset is a healthy plateau expectation. The spark of spontaneity can come either way. If something crashes it and you didn't expect it, yeah. you, you're prepared, you you're can prepared, deal definitely. with your capacity. If something fun comes along, you go, you know what? What the heck? Let's just yeah, let's it. run with it. Let's enjoy <laughs> so, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's one of my dad's biggest philosophies is that you know boundary creates freedom, and and it's so true that often we want to see boundaries as constrictive, but boundary and and um, routine create the ability to be free within it because you 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 understand your expectation. Without understanding your expectation, 
you actually end up, I think, living by others' expectations, crashing in on you all the time. Totally. So, and that's totally. something that we've, you know, I certainly live my life by is trying to healthily set what I expect of myself. And, and so I often, you know, get invited out on a Friday night. I can choose to go or not, but my long run's on a Saturday. So that will detrimentally affect that. If that's mid-training, uh, it's okay. But if it's peak, pointy end of training, I'll be like, you know what, guys, thanks for the invite, but tonight I'm going to chill at home, I'm going to rest early so I can run well tomorrow. And my mates get that, you know, they understand that. So the right people often, always you know, do, absolutely. Often, yeah, they'll often poke me in problem and say, oh, come on, man, come out, you know, just do something for once. And I'm like, I do stuff all the time, but just right now it's four weeks to a marathon. Like, oh, as soon as I say that, they're kind of like, oh, no totally. drama. Because they yeah, get yeah, the yeah. commitment it takes yeah. to, get, to get there. And so if you're, and I guess that's the other thing, the longer you're running a company for, the more your people around you, whether it be your wife, your friends, your family, they understand the commitment it's taken and takes. And so when you give a, an answer, they actually have a far better understanding of why you're giving that answer. Definitely, definitely. With the uh, boundaries creating flexibility as well, like it's not just about, I think, the structure of a week or, you know, and you mentioned you're living by your own expectations and being able to do something repeatedly. This comes back to like how habits are so important, just like practising anything so like if you're i'll use dancing as an example because that's what i mentioned earlier for myself but it's the idea of like you practice something so well and you refine it and you put those rigid routine structures in place that Mm -hmm. then once you know them so well you have the flexibility to embellish or you know flourish talking all the dance lingo um it's a great example it's a great but, example. Yeah, well, in, you know in your week you've got such a, a set routine that the week looks the same that you you know where you do have options to move you you know mm, mm. You structure your week because you know your inputs and outputs so well so it works on every level that you can work a bit harder yeah. at the beginning of the week so you have that time to then go run an extra 40ks on a, a friday afternoon or something <laughs> like it's it's really living on your own terms mm, on the mm. day-to-day on the weekly, the monthly, and then on that much bigger picture because you're getting everything out of your life and out of your mm-hmm. your realities. You're getting everything out of it that you need to serve your heart, your soul, your body, mm. and, and and it's it's paying off. You're seeing, you're creating this yeah. life around you, and I think that really is um, comes back to, you know, you are what you put in. Yeah, and, and you you begin to know yourself. That's the biggest thing, you knowing yourself. Yeah. And, and you know yourself, yeah. And you learn, and that, you know, my example of what you've just said is, I've used running, but the basketball example is is exactly that. You know your basic skills. You know, yeah. I can now dribble without looking at the ball. Yeah. So the ball's still bouncing up and down, but I'm not looking at it anymore, and I don't even have to think about that. Correct. So that's just going to keep happening. So then I can actually look up, I can see the playing field, I can envision what I want to see occur. Yeah. So on the basketball court, the best basketball players, you know, one of my favorite players was Jason Kidd and he, he had the ability to see the court in a way that no one else did. And so he had that because his basic fundamentals, yeah. his ability to, to, and his habitual practice of that, you just explained it so well, that it gives him the fundamental strength to bring the flair. Now he was one of the best, passes the game's ever seen in the NBA. And so you go, he didn't actually just have the flair to make him better. He made everyone else. Yeah, better. yeah, absolutely. That, you talk about something I love. I love seeing others succeed. That, that is exactly that, is the willingness to work on the fundamentals to the point that they're automatic, they're routine, 
the inherently who you are, and then that is allowing you then to see the court, see the playing field, vision it, and then empower others to step into that. And and for me, that that has now translated in the company is teaching fundamentals. Yeah, teaching absolutely. Understandings. Yeah, and that's a that's a massive passion of mine is to see, you know, young physiotherapists particularly. Uh, experience it, learn from experience, but also have the understanding that you've got to nail these fundamentals. Yeah, absolutely. And that comes down to habit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Practice, practice, practice. Gosh, I'm having all sorts of flashbacks to my childhood tonight, John. This conversation is bringing me back to like <laughs> dance classes and piano lessons. And that's like, I just remember as a kid, that was like the, the phrase that was drilled into me. It was like practice, 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 mm. practice, practice, practice. Mm. And I remember like as a child you just you struggle with that concept because everyone's outside playing sports and running around and having a good time and i'm stuck inside on a saturday morning having a piano lesson with boring old hillary and i don't want to be in there but (laughs) practice 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 and it wasn't until later that it's that discipline of practice 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 you know by the time i was you know eight years old and i'm a repeated state champion dancer and grade four piano player and i'm not and i'm being able to do that at an age where it's because yeah. of that practice, you know, it, it taught me those boundaries created that freedom and that freedom then lent me mm. to all of my opportunities thereafter and the confidence of so being good. self-aware to say, I know me, I know me very early mm. on. And, and it's that ability, like you said, that that changes someone's perspective. And I think they're the limitation that they've, they've subconsciously put on themselves without knowing it, by being like, oh, I can't do that or I, I should do that or shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But just by being self-aware of going, no, I I can, I will, I understand it, yeah. I understand the output, and if I can do that, you can actually become unstoppable, I believe. I believe. Most certainly, and I think, and again, my experience of observing others and also my own personal experience now and, and then beginning to empower others and even the blessing getting out to empower Katie and work together on those things mm. is and she now takes a fairly heavy role in the company of teaching our new instructors and and I was doing that at a level and you know Pilates is such a critical part of uh, methodology now and also a company and she's taken it systematically and, and taken the fundamentals of what she's learned in her certification as a Pilates instructor trained OT in her own right, but she does her, you now loves Pilates and, and bringing that teaching. And I mm-hmm. see now, like we see the the fruit of that is in our new instructors now uh, at a level that our original instructors took two years to achieve. Yeah. They've achieved it within, you know, three to four months. And so yeah. their ceiling is so much quickly, so much further ahead and advanced and, and quickly gets to where we want them to be as a company and as a as an instructor level and they kind of have to because otherwise they're comparing to myself or Katie who are very experienced instructors who are, are passionate and have been developed and you then you put in a new instructor into a class who's only had three months experience yeah the clientele sort of say hang on a sec you were giving us this and now you're giving us that but it's again it doesn't even come back to the experience as long as their fundamentals match correct understand that fundamental they can deliver the same level of uh, experience but what will change is the personal experience as far as their own you know the way that they they can bring that yeah and they can really bring that with their own sense of freedom i think that's so wonderful Mm. like the the passing on and it's something to be said i think about you guys are cultivating success. Uh, 
you're literally cultivating mm-hmm. it in your in your new instructors and and these I guess your next wave of physiotherapists that come through as well mm. because it's it's your teachings like you speak so highly of your mentors and the time that they gave you and the experience mm-hmm. and I know that you again you and I share the same um, perspective when it comes to experience and I think it came from our own experience of knocking on doors and saying hey you know can I get the experience and they go oh gee you don't really have a lot of experience and you go mate how the fuck do I get experience if no one gives it to me? And I think it's through that learning the hard way that yeah. you you definitely, and, and I feel very much the same, you know, I'm always, always up to help someone if and when I can mm. Um, mm-hmm. because I really believe that that experience can change somebody's entire journey or, or you know, their direction. Mm. It, it may be the thing that opens the door for them or ignites their their passion. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's really, really inspiring to hear you, you talk so confidently about passing that on and it, and making it a fundamental of your business so that, again, your mm. staff understand this is what we represent and and what mm-hmm. they will be passing on, hopefully, to the generations ahead of them. Yeah, and that, and that leads completely into where we plan to get to and have managed to make it to a point now. And you never make it, but you've made it to a point now where we can – confidently put in place a career progression from yeah you start as a first year physiotherapist we now have a space in our practice that you can come and do something which is our sports trainer level we then have somewhere third and fourth year students getting a pilates instruction a graduate or a new graduate physiotherapist a graduate physiotherapist a team physio a senior physio into a managing physio into a site director and so i guess that much of that philosophy was shaped in my experience of not getting that and not seeing how I can create a pathway for someone to explore ongoing challenge, ongoing progression, ongoing need to grow if you want to. And and yet we totally believe that as we mature as people, our character growth will um, match our professional growth. And so mm-hmm. alongside of that, we've now empowered this year uh, Cadence Coaching, which is all about having that you know one-on-one time with a senior staff member on a regular basis that Amazing. inherently you know, assesses our values and places it within those people, but gives them every opportunity to grow as people, adding a feedback loop to what we do, but actually intentionally spending time with them in a coaching process so that they are able to value what we value. Um, And yeah, the fundamentals are the values that then flow through into the how and the what and the why. So I guess that's, yeah. And that's, you know, another great book I read, you know, start with why Simon Sinek, which I know we've discussed. Yeah. Big fan, big fan. We talk about him all the time. I know. And uh, one of the other ones that you actually handed me a while back, um, Atomic Habits, Dr. James Clear. Yeah. Fantastic. Another one that, um, yeah. yeah. I can't believe how much ground we have covered. And yet I can (laughs) believe it. And I know that I said, I want to keep you here or not, but I, I know that you also have a life outside of this. With everything that you've said, John, tonight, and thank you for sharing so much about your journey. It's great to hear how early family lifestyle, your parents' teachings Mm. and their example that really imprinted on you, led by example, like you said, you saw the hard work being put in by both of them as well. Your spiritual cornerstones and your faith in in God and his plan Mm. and, and, and how you navigated that to then flow into your career path as a physiotherapist to then be mentored and, and get to where you're at to, with your business and Katie um, and everything you've done, this rhythm, this cadence, dare I say it, because that's ultimately mm-hmm. what it is. I love that 
you said it earlier and I had to bite my tongue when you're like, it's about finding the rhythm. And I was going to say, John, it's about finding the cadence. But um, <laughs> it's just too cheesy. Bang. Bang, there it is. So in all of that, do you consider yourself successful? Oh, yeah, look, it's yes is the answer, yes. If you, if you look at it as a... My, my difficulty with answering that question purely sits in, obviously, the aspiration of success is never the goal. The goal is not to become successful. It's not Correct. It's not to, to be good at what you do. It's not to be ama- have an amazing company or an incredible space to exercise. Or It's not to succeed in those things. It's, it's genuinely found in why did I become a physiotherapist? And the ultimate is to help people, is to be there for others, is to have an others focus. Um, and so when I reflect where we're at right now, I say that... Well, that I would say that I'm personally successful because I'm helping one person, whether it's one person or a million, I don't care. That's what defines my ultimate success is that, and that, that, that there's relational strength and relational maturity in my life. And so if that was through the company or through a workplace or through a family life, whatever it might be, that that would be my definition of where we are now as successful. And yet why I struggle with the answer again is that, Again, take John Maxwell, one of his critical things as leadership is that humility is one of the four key cornerstones of, of um, a leader, um, along with authenticity, self-awareness, and the courage. And so those four things are things that I'll measure myself on in success is how am I doing my self-awareness? Am I managing, and I think probably one of my biggest weaknesses, if anything, would be pride. And so you ask me a question like that, and I... I want to say yes, yes. I believe we are being successful because we're helping others. Um, I don't want to answer yes though because I don't want to be full of pride, <laughs> you know. And so, and that it's sounds funny, yeah, yeah. I totally understand that. I totally hear that. I think there's a real strength in acknowledging. It comes back to the self awareness. And it's funny, I mentioned it on the last episode, but I used to tell my students, as like you know, say, do you think you're good at what you do? And some would be like, and it'd always be the ones who were the best. Do you know what I mean? Like the ones who were really just incredibly talented or worked really hard. And they would be like, no, no, I can't answer that. And you'd see this sort of this guilt, this shame across their face because they don't want to be seen as being cocky or arrogant. And Mm -hmm. I'd say to them, but if you know that you're good at it and you are because you know that you have, you've seen that progression, you've, you've put in the hours and you've got the fundamentals down you're allowed to say it and i think to be proud of something it, again it it opens up that part of you that then walks mm. a little walks a half an inch taller tomorrow talk a little bit more with a bit more conviction tomorrow because you've got that pride to say yeah i i am good at it i am successful at it and i understand yeah. that you know it's it, it's a very um it's a tricky line of pride and humility humility, humility. And, and i think humility. and yet and yet like would i on a daily level, on a on a daily reality, on a daily basis, that's what I'm looking for. On a daily basis, I see the success of our life. You know, yeah, I see yeah. that we have more space and time now for our children. That we we put in place a company and a value and a system and a business plan to allow that to get there. And you know, coming out of COVID, I've seen the success of our team and the values that they have inherently taken on because we place so much value in them yeah and we sat there in a meeting and said we're going to shut down and we don't have any might have any money <laughs> to pay you guys and i went yeah no worries we're in this with you guys yeah you know and so there was an element of you know all of that that you assess the last few years and you assess the now and you go yes we are succeeding in what we plan to achieve 
and yet we know that there's still someone to help tomorrow. There's always still someone to be there for tomorrow. There's always going to be the possibilities of tomorrow and the possibilities of you know the next 10 minutes, whatever it might be, but the, the success has to continue to be self-aware of it and manage it and understand it and continue to hone in on the value system that we create. If we keep staying true to that, then we'll continue to be successful. I love it. So poignant. John Joyce tonight has been a pleasure. You have brought joy to me. I'm sure you've brought joy to many listeners um, tuning in. I hope so. I'm going to finish off with these 10 questions that I finish every episode with. Okay. Mm. What is your favorite word? Uh, actually, actually, it's funny you say this. So I actually, um, I may have snuck ahead on this, you know, knowing these were coming because I did listen to a podcast that, you know, of course I'm a listener. Why would I not be? Um, and so I, I had to think about this phone because this was the one that I probably struggled with out of some of these questions the most. I actually, we came on way out for dinner. I said, what would your favorite word be? And it took me days and I thought, this is ridiculous. It shouldn't take me this long. I love words. I love, you know, the English language. And as I reflected, I was running and it was like a thunderbolt, you know, just, like, you know, hit me in the head. A thunderbolt, there's no such thing. A lightning bolt hit me in the head. A thunderclap went off and it went, Sturge on, it's joy. Joy. Uh, uh, joy is my favorite word <laughs> by love a long it. way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. That makes perfect sense. What is your least favorite word? Yeah, I really don't think I can say that word out loud. But honestly, I feel like it's, I, I believe that my, my, one of my inherent beliefs is that, that uh, curse words or swear words are somewhat of it. And I recognize I have their time and their moment, but that they have a, contempt about them and so i'll just put it this way it's a word that starts with c and i will not say it out loud i (laughs) I don't want you to either whenever that word is ever uttered it just it makes my spirit feel something (laughs) horrible it just i can't even oh yeah that one that's my i was gonna say i feel like i was gonna say that i feel like i've actually heard you say it once i feel like i have no 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 no, i feel like surely not I wish I could. Oh, maybe in a COVID rage or something. If I, I think, did, then no, uh, God think, forgive me. <laughs> God will forgive you. God has forgiven you. Yeah, I know. Um, God has forgiven me. God's forgiven you 100%. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Good question. I missed this one on my review. Um, oh, great question. I mean, creatively is certainly, and I always thought I wasn't creative, I must admit. I thought I wasn't a creative person. And, and I think I just have worked out that creativity comes in so many forms, right? And so um, like making putting together a Pilates class is incredibly creative. And so I love doing that stuff. But creativity comes when I'm running. So it is that sort of that, sort of that middle zone, that zone I get into. Um, so running certainly does that. But I th- you know what? In terms of that overall question, it would be good people. You know, like just people that are and, and unique people, people that aren't just doing what they are told the world is supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and people that are having a go at something. What turns you off? Bad human behaviour. <laughs> poor human behaviour. Poor etiquette. Poor English language. Poor, poor use of the English English language. Yeah, yeah. It just is, you know, and I think that's part of that whole, you use about colourful language, I understand that, but Vince, you have a very eloquent understanding of your words and how to use them and how to use an adjective to describe something, for example, whereas many people just use certain words over and over again. And so that, that's <laughs> a total turn off. 
Well, what leads me to my next question here is what is your favourite curse word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I hope to say I don't have one, to be honest. It's interesting. That's, yeah, I, I just don't like them. Like, it's not that it, I actually don't not like, I'm not going to judge you for someone else. You, you choose how you want to speak. I just sense that I feel like the majority of the time they're unnecessary, and yet many of my friends like to point out to me there's this critical study that's done uh, two or three years ago. I came out the advertiser that you're actually about 30 to 31%, something like that, more effective in managing your emotions when you swear than just using, say, a loud yelling word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah, a yeah. very specific controlled, randomized controlled trial done. I was like, you've got to be joking me. I reckon so that study not, comes out at least every three or four years in the advertising. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a repeat as Anyway, yeah, so I look, I'd have to say I don't have one. To be honest, I just... Uh, that's all right. That's a I'd good try to use them. Yeah, I like my favourite. What sound or noise do you love? Yeah, so I snuck ahead on this one because I don't know how I was going to answer that. Um, I think there's a couple. Um, I actually really enjoy the sound of my my watch alarm because it goes off after my phone alarm, which is horrid. My phone alarm is that real, you know, the standard iPhone one that does that really bad noise anyway. And that's waking you up at a ridiculous time. But then the phone alarms, my watch alarms afterwards, I feel like that's a good noise. The second one I like is I love sparkling water. So the opening of a soda stream after it's been, you know, like, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> yeah, done. The spaceship. Or I call it's it the, the can as well. Like, yeah, whatever it is, that noise. Yeah. You know. I just, you I know, call it the spaceship. I really love the point where you do the soda stream. And then when you tilt the bottle just after <laughs> you've gassed it up, yeah. and it goes, <laughs> and it's like a rocket. Yeah, there you go. I love that. Yeah. I, What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, Yeah, easy one. Uh, My beautiful wife has a wonderful uh, camelback drink bottle. If you know them, they've got a little like sort of specialized nozzle on them. And as a result of the fact that it's a it's a reverse suction or reverse um, negative compression that goes on, and so as a result, it sucks the bottle in and it makes this little. uh, Mm. <laughs> and I hate the noise. You know why? Because often she has it next to her bed at night and it sits there and it makes that noise like 2 a.m. And like, I don't want to go to bed just to decompress, like, you know, open it, which is yeah, kind of yeah, the noise yeah, I yeah. like. But that, oh, that noise does my head in. It's just like, oh, make that drink bottle stop. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Mm. Yeah, great question. I would always have loved to have tried and I think still possibly maybe would in the future, maybe won't have enough time, to be honest, is, is orthopedic surgeon. I love, uh, you know, that's, it's very much along the lines of what I do um, yeah. in terms of on the other side of the, the coin. But uh, I've been, I've sat in on surgeries and, I, and I'm fascinated by the human body. So I watch it and I just think that is really, really cool what you get to do. And and beyond that, it's, it's really life-changing, you know, and so, yeah. um, and it's, it's quite uh, unique to the musculoskeletal component of it. So, yeah, all speaking surgeon. I like it. What profession would you not like to do? Yeah, I, I actually don't know. I never thought about it. What, what would I not want to be? Uh, I think probably in some ways nursing. <laughs> I don't want to be. I've observed a lot of nurses have to work and some of the stuff they have to do. Uh, it's probably more what they have to do versus the profession. It's great potential. You can be a wonderful nurse in certain ways and you, can be, you have to be a certain person and, I have compassion and care and sympathy, but there's a lot of stuff in a nursing environment that you have to achieve, particularly as a student nurse that you've got to do. I'm like, I do not want to do that. Yeah, let's go with nursing. That's fair. And like you last, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? 
sort of heaven does exist, so that's okay. I don't need to worry about if. Um, look, I hope I hope that God says it to me. I, I believe totally in the, the part of the kingdom now. Like we have an element of being able to be part of this now, and and that ultimately our human existence is our beginning of life with God that God creates us. And so that's my theological belief, and that we live in the partial presence of God every day that we're in earth. It's not exactly as he created it, et cetera. But I, I sense that I hope God is saying, would say to me, you were there for others. Um, you saw others' needs um, and you were willing to give of yourself at some level and give up on some of your selfish ambition at some level. And I know that it's not perfect, but the ability I can to give to others. Um, I really I hope... I hope I hear that from God daily, to be honest. And that then, the, and secondly to that is that He would say to me that you received grace and gave grace. That grace is a, a gift that we can't earn, and so as a result, you're able to give that to others, and that they would experience part of God's love through that. Through that, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, grace is such a a formative thing for me, um, and so I live in the security of grace. I would hope that God has an element of a conversation around that with me. I love that. It's beautiful. John Joyce, thank you for bringing joy for the last two hours with me. It's just been a fantastic conversation. I can't wait to do it again. This will not be the last. Mm. Thank you for coming on the show. You are most welcome. And thank you for your creativity. To be honest, your creativity and your honesty and your vulnerability. And you're you're pushing this forward, mate. I'm so proud of you. John, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. To continue the conversation, suggest a topic, a guest, or if you'd like to share your success strategies and journey, then connect with me in the podcast on Instagram at the real Vince Fusco. See you there.